0: So we haven't had a lot of time to check in, and I want to take some time now before I introduce some new material. And I I think I mentioned maybe the first week. It's uh, really impressive how much we learn from hearing from each other, the joys and sorrows of learning to meditate. Some of you, of course, have been meditating for a while. And just what are you learning? What seems to be in the way of the mind settling? Or what seems to be in the way of the mind seeing? what it hasn't seen before about the nature of the mind, what seems to be going well, what questions do you have about the instructions that I've given over the last three weeks, sharing your questions or experiences with walking meditation would be very instructive as well, or really anything about this path of mindfulness. So this mic is a directional mic, which means you want to point it like this pretty close not like this okay so anybody want to begin what have you been learning what's been challenging what questions do you have yeah you want to pass it to the back of the room thanks and if you want you can say your name
1: my name is David and this is the first try I've had at like a real practice um And I did it almost every single day um, the last two weeks. I wasn't able to be here for the class last week, but one of the things that uh, I actually listened to the second week online, one of the things that I've noticed is just, I guess, an increased awareness of, like, that it's a story that I'm telling myself instead of being, like, so caught up in it. Like, this is the reality. All of a sudden there will be a moment of, oh, I'm just telling myself this story, and that's not necessarily the way that it is. Yeah. Um, that was cool, but today has been a very flustered day, and I showed up late, and I'm like, "Run around, and all that w- went right out the window. Um, so it was nice to just sit down for a little while.: um,
0: Yeah, and but one of the you know unfortunate side effects of having had some more settled sits is that we come, like you did tonight, with some expectation that I want to get back to something. And the way back to any good sit we've ever had is to honestly acknowledge the residual stress or, you know, agitation of your mind, whatever it was like for you when you came in a few minutes late. And the way back is not to not want things to be the way that they are, but to acknowledge that things are the way that they are. Oh, the body feels like this. This is how the body feels. It's not about whether the body should feel this way or i want the body same with the mind the mind is like this now restless or sleepy or whatever it might be but you see it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of courageousness to allow the body and mind to be the way that they are because it just feels so in- inappropriate like no the mind i don't want the mind this way and that that's totally appropriate it's okay to not want the mind to be that way but The reality is the mind is this way. So why spend time wanting it to be some other way when it is this way? And the way to understanding and to a greater stability, peace, is to acknowledge the way it is as opposed to push away from the way that, like have a little war This isn't isn't the body sensation I want or this isn't the mind state I want. See, all of a sudden, there's a conflictual relationship with awareness and the way it is. No. (laughs) So in a way, mindfulness is just the opposite. It's always a yes, yes. Not yes, this is what I wanted, but yes, this is how it is. It is this way, this body, this mind, this moment. It is this way. So to say yes to it doesn't mean we're giving up on things ever becoming better or different. It just means that the way for any positive thing to happen is to begin with what's real right now, not to begin by struggling with what's real right now or hating what's real right now or denying what's real right now. That just leads to more stress. Thanks for sharing. Other thoughts? Questions, yeah, you want to just pass it over?
1: Hi, I am
2: Gwen. Um, I've been coming to your Sunday night for a while, but this I decided to take this class, and um one of my struggles is drowsiness i I get relaxed, I feel great, I feel like I can get into the breathing, but then I go too far. And I start to drowse, and then I'll I'll feel my body sort of dip, and I'll come back, and then I'm back to the breathing. But I'd like to know if there's a way or if there's something that I can keep myself from
1: going there.
0: Yeah, and this uh, this is endemic in meditation circles. And especially like Gwen has been practicing for a while, and uh, one of the first things we learn if we're a pretty good student and are doing our practice and listening and uh, integrating what we're hearing into our actual experience is we get relatively good at settling the mind down, tranquilizing the mind, calming the mind. And that's great. But like you suggest, you know, if that's all we're doing, we just, in our sit, in any given sit, all we're doing is and some days are rougher than others, you know, there's just more agitation to work with, more disturbance to work with. But eventually, if we're systematic, if we keep at it, it calms it down. But if that's all we do, we're just putting ourselves to sleep, right? So there's two forces, generally, just to keep it simple, there's two forces. One is the force of alertness, brightness. So we're In a sense, you could say we're developing a muscle, an internal mental muscle of being bright, being interested, being alert, being capable, the mind being capable of investigating, unpacking the experience, and calming the mind, settling the mind, uh, encouraging, training the mind to be relaxed and soft and open, released, and uh, the interesting thing is how they don't contradict each other. And actually, they're mutually supporting. I think I mentioned this the first week. Something it uh, surprises us when we see that being really bright and alert actually supports even more peace and tranquility because the alertness can see the seeds of agitation, can see how the mind is agitating itself. They're like provoking itself, worrying. About things, right? It's the alertness that sees that, and the relaxation, the calming, the ease really helps the clarity, the brightness, right? It's not so easy to see clearly when I'm agitated, but when I when the mind is really still, when the body and mind is really still and calm, in the, in a way it's like uh, it doesn't have an agenda, so the clarity is much better because it doesn't have agenda. Why doesn't it have agenda? Because it's calm. It's content. It's at ease. So they really work together. But generally speaking, not uh, not for everybody, but generally speaking, most meditators, as they're, they're developing the practice, they get initially better at tranquilizing the mind than they do at developing brightness of mind, interest. So where you're at is... Not so much you want to get rid of the tranquility, but you want the alertness, the brightness, the interest, in what? In the way it is, to match the tranquility that your mind has. Because that's what keeps it in balance. More and more tranquility, you really can't get enough, tra- too much tranquility, unless it's out of balance with the alertness. right? Because then you'll go to sleep. Or some trance state, some lala, fuzzy, pleasant state, right? And it's pleasant, and excuse me, and it is a bit, you know, it's not bad. It's like a good, you could call it a power nap or something, right? Except when you're sitting, you do the nod thing that you talked about. It's good. Every, don't do it often, but when you're here and there's a big group sitting, every once in a while, just open your eyes, and you'll see that there's some percentage of people doing the nod. And it doesn't mean they're like, oh, that's just a new meditator, they don't know what they're doing. It could be a very experienced person doing the nod because the more peacefulness we get in our practice, the more subtle and important that alertness is. But the alertness has has to be just as refined as the tranquility. It's a really delicate balance between the alertness and the relaxation. And you'll find, like for experienced meditators, that the mind can be in a beautiful balance, really peaceful, but really keenly aware, really sharp. Nothing dull about that mind. But in just a matter of a few seconds, if the awareness loses touch with the present moment, which is inherently interesting, so that's what supports the brightness, and then it gets a little distracted and into some thought, which is inherently not interesting, because you've had that thought before, right? Then the whole thing can collapse. Because it was the contact, the interest in the present moment, that kept that balance perfect. And then when the mind gets distracted, the balance is lost, and there's just lots of tranquility, but no energy. And so you just, the person literally can nod off. Even though three seconds before, there was a beautiful balance. So it's uh a lot of times people, when they imagine people who haven't done meditation, mindfulness, meditation, they think it's this passive activity. you know, you get in in a sweet spot, and then basically you just hang out there until the sits over. But there's this very delicate dynamic of the interest, the active part of the meditation, the assertive part, as opposed to the receptive part. That's another way to think about it, you know, the tranquility is the receptive part, and the assertive part is the mind that wants to know, the mind that wants to connect, the mind that wants to see deeply, understand deeply. That's the only desire that is useful in meditation, the natural, authentic desire to want to connect with the way it is, to want to see, to want to understand. And that's, that's a real talent. To be able to sustain, to find that interest and to sustain it. It's as important as anything. Initially, it's slightly more important just to learn how to relax a little bit, you know, just to calm down. But then from that point on, when you have a, enough of a competence at calming down, most of the work of meditation is how to be interested in the present moment and refining that interest. Because it's not a gross interest i'm interested cuz mark said to be interested or the buddha said to be interested but there's like somehow the mother understands that its well-being is completely tied up with understanding things more deeply and that all my suffering is completely related to being disconnected right so it the motivation comes from a very deep kind of compassion like i care about this life i care about my well-being and I and I have some deep, deep, deepening intuition that my well being, my happiness and unhappiness is directly related to how clearly the mind is understanding the nature of things or how disconnected my mind is from what's happening here. Yeah. Thanks, Gwen. Other thoughts or questions you have about practice? Or just sharing what you feel, feel like you've been learning in practice, or what's been challenging. Yeah, please. Want to pass it all the way over? We have this technique of mindfully passing the mic from one person to the next. You feel the touching, touching, the releasing, the moving. Hi. Hi. Um,
2: I'm Mark, and uh, one thing that uh, I, I've noticed a number of times that uh, kind of has me befuddled is that uh when i'm when i start sitting and i get into it and i start to really relax all of a sudden my eyes will water really a lot and i get tears dripping down my chin and you know <laughs> off my fit and it, it it's kind of bothersome but um i don't know what's up with that you know i'm not feeling sad i'm not feeling happy but i got lots of
1: water flowing
0: yeah well uh I guess, let me ask a couple questions. Does it seem to correspond with uh, that it's not initial, but it's more when the mind-body has settled into a relatively quiet space? Yes. Yeah. Well, then probably, I mean, I can't say with certainty, but there's probably a good chance that what's happening... See, most of the time we're operating at a pretty fast pace and we're living our life, and all kinds of things are happening, but in a, in a sense, the mind, the heart, whatever you want to call it, isn't really digesting what's happening, because there's always something new, and the awareness of the mind is meeting that new thing, and when we meet a new experience, it literally makes an impression on the mind. It's like in the same way that touch makes an impression through the, ex- the sense of touch, and sound makes an impression through, you know, hearing and sight makes an impression through the eyes. and But emotionally, the heart is being touched, you know, cognitively. There's an imprint from how we understand the experience, like that person doesn't like me, or I'm really good at this, or we're being these impressions on the heart and mind all the time, Right? And But we're not able to sort of be clearly aware, oh, it feels like this, this charge, this interesting emotion, this existential fear, this, you know, whatever it is. We can't process it. So we have this sort of cumulative unfinished business. and Some of it can be quite traumatic, but it's not necessarily bad. It could be quite beautiful too. So then when we sit and we shift into a more relaxed, which is another way of saying undefended way of being, then anything that hasn't been processed starts to just move. right? Because that's what emotion does. It moves. But one of our defensive patterns is to freeze up. And we've been basically doing it our whole life, maybe even many lifetimes, who knows. So there's just a residual amount of whatever you want to call it that just wants to move. And so some people will get yawning, some people will get tears flowing, some people will get shakes. So don't worry about this stuff. It happens. It, It probably will happen somewhere in the course of decades of practice where you'll go through phases where there will be some subtle or not so subtle releasing. And it can really take any form shivers, and as long as you're not intentionally doing it, you know it's just a lawful unwinding of something, right? What else could it be? It has to be the lawful unwinding of something. And you don't have to evaluate it. That's so wonderful that we don't really need to know the story behind it because we know that the body has its own intelligence, right? Whatever happens is lawful. We don't that doesn't mean we know the causes for it, but we know it's lawful. So we just let it happen. Yawning, shaking, laughing, crying. That's another thing you'll notice, especially in a retreat, you know, in any given sit, if you have a group of a hundred people at any given time, it could be somebody quietly sobbing. And it doesn't mean they're having even having a bad sit. It just means that's what's moving right now. It's not about it being it should be moving now or it shouldn't be moving now. It is moving now, that sadness, that whatever it is. And so part of the great thing about creating a schedule, like I sit every day, you know, unless there's some huge crisis, I just sit every day. I put my time in, you know, I get on a retreat a couple times a year. I just do that and I just work with whatever shows up. Sometimes it's just sleepiness, you know. Maybe day after day, for weeks at a time, it may be nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then for months at a time, it might be too much is happening, too much is happening, right? But whatever it is, if we're in the desert stage or you know drama stage or whatever it is, we just work with it as best we can. We practice being alert and relaxed. Or you saw the handout. Those of you who didn't get it, there's some here and there's some on the table in the lobby. You can pick one up on the way out. So a slightly more sophisticated way to remember the practice, so the simple way is alert and tranquil, right? Alert and relaxed. And then the more slightly more sophisticated is with the acronym RAIN. Recognize, accept, interest, non-attachment. So these two are more of the assertive, like recognize, like make contact. Oh, it's just this being known. Accepting. Sort of like reminder to relax, so it's just it's just happening out its own, I don't need to do anything. The heart, the mind's already sensitive, interest, so not so much that my mind is going to the object, but it's like letting the object express itself. It's already here. Like the sound of my voice isn't here. you're hearing the sound of my voice right there in your heart and mind right now. So you don't have to like lean into me to hear me. You need to relax because the experience of hearing is happening right in your mind-heart. Everything we know, everything that happens to us, happens here. The present moment is here. right? So that's the acceptance, relaxation. That's the second part. And then interest. And then the end is non-attachment or non-identification. And that's even a more profound kind of letting go like it's all happening on its own. It's the activity of nature, any moment of our experience, instead of it's happening to me, from a more honest point of view, it's just stuff being known. It's like nature is happening and being known. That's all we really can say. Something is being known. We can't say I'm knowing it. If there's a sense of me knowing it, then the something being known is the thought of me, who's doing the knowing. But that's a thought, being known. This is amazing. I don't want to go into it too much because it can seem a little trippy, but it's really the case. All of life, however complicated our life is, however long your to-do list is, no matter how difficult your personal relationships are, any moment of experience is simply something of the mind and body being known like a cognitive experience, being known, a sound, being known, pain in the body, being known, wetness on the face, being known. It's just something being known. And where is that all happening? Here. It's always happening here. Really, Mindfulness really simplifies things in that way. Time for a couple more comments or questions. What else have you been learning or questions that you have? Walking practice, anybody experiment with walking practice? Yeah, please, want to pass the mic over? I know, but it's really nice because there are some people who don't hear well, and it really helps. And by the way, remember we have those hearing-assisted devices in the closet for those who need them.
2: I was just raising my hand to say that I had exper- experimented with walking meditation. Okay, now you have to
0: tell us. <laughs> We're curious. How'd it go? Uh,
2: it went really well. Uh, I have taken the MBSR class at the university, so we did Mindfulness-based
0: some, stress reduction, for people who don't know that acronym.
2: Uh, we did some walking meditation there, uh, through the hallways of Mayo. Uh, and so I did it for the first time in my house. And uh, it was an amazing aid for calming the mind.
0: Oh, good! Did you use a hallway, or where hallway mm-hmm. that runs the length of the second floor of my home. Yeah, and I really remember. Don't end the class before experimenting. Before you experiment at least a few times with walking meditation, it's a really important complement to sitting. And if I didn't mention this, you know, at the monasteries in Asia where. Monks and nuns are practicing full-time, or lay people who go there are practicing full-time. Like when I go on retreat, I'm alternating sitting and walking, sitting and walking. I'm spending at least as much time doing walking meditation as I am sitting meditation. So some retreats you might spend 15 hours a day either walking or sitting. And then the rest is you know eating your meals, using the toilet. But you're just going back and forth, and it really keeps the mind in balance. If you sit too much, you know, you get a little bit um, dull. But if you walked only, you know, your body would get tired. So it's a really nice balance. And if you do it formally, then you'll be able to use your informal walking, like from your car to the store, from your office to your car, for little five-minute practice sessions. Because it's often a time like where we don't have to be checking the phone and we don't have to be talking. So it, it's very conducive to just having an ordinary experience of mindfulness outside of formal practice. Like when you leave tonight, you know, it's really great to introduce yourself and talk. But if you're not, then just use that experience of walking to your car See, so you're not, you're not creating this weird thing called, I've got to be mindful. You know, we're learning that it's the most natural thing in the world to just be, in the moment, walking from the center to the car, reaching for the door, touching, turning, pulling, crawling into the car, sitting, reaching. And just the, it's like we miss so much of our life because we have this idea that we don't recognize it's not important. I mean, basically, that's what we say 99% of, of our lives. This moment isn't important. This moment isn't important. I don't really, this moment isn't really requiring me to be intimate. So we get really good at not being intimate in the only life we have because we we're pretty sure it's not an important moment. And then that's what we get good at, thinking that life I- in this moment isn't important. So it starts to creep into the parts of our lives that we would otherwise think is important. But even on vacation that we've been waiting for, we can be thinking, yeah, but next next one we go out to eat later. That's you know We keep missing our life in that way. So mindfulness is like really investing in the in-breath. And that's what we train with something so ordinary like breathing in, breathing out, or just hearing. Especially when all we're hearing is every once in a while, if we're lucky, we hear somebody move. Otherwise, it's just the blowing fan, right? Or just that background sound of shh. But if we can learn to be interested in that in a continuous way or interested with the breath in a continuous way, then daily life is so much easier, right? Because we know how to show up. Thanks for sharing, even though you didn't want to. Yes, please. Want to pass the mic over here?
1: I, um, I have a question about the practice of non-attachment and I'm interested in how,
0: you know, if we are non-attaching from, you know, recognizing that that is pain and that is anger. How do you experience the positive emotions like love and happiness if you are recognizing them and kind of in the, by Recognizing that and being aware of them, you're also like disassociating from them. No, remember the whole practice it's I know it sounds that way, but it's just easy to misunderstand. So hear this clearly, the whole practice is learning how to be intimate with the way it is right we're we're using we're cultivating a kind of an a- awareness that's already here it's already available, but we're strengthening it as a value, like the value of seeing clearly or the value of being sensitive, or the value of being intimate. But the, the thing we understand as we, as we take up, like that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Like, oh yeah, if I'm going to have a life, if I'm going to have experiences, I might as well be really there, really intimate, really awake, right? So that just makes a lot of sense. And then what we find when we actually try to operationalize really being present, really being intimate, is that attachment gets in the way. Right? Like, I don't know if you have kids, but let's say you have kids, and you're going to go home and kiss them goodnight. And, um, and you know, you're from the talk, you're okay, I'm gonna, I, I really want to have an authentic, real moment with my kid. And, uh, but if you're really attached, like if you have an idea, an expectation of what that looks like, you know that they should smile in a particular way and say mommy i love you or you know what i mean if you have an idea and you're attached to that idea that attachment will keep you from having a moment of authentic connection with that other human being right or any kind of attachment is ends up being a barrier so if we're really interested in being right in the middle not just with the pleasant but with the unpleasant experiences We have to be unafraid and unattached. And any attachment, any identification, any tension keeps us from learning. And how do we learn? By being intimate. Because when we're intimate and we're sustaining that present moment awareness, we really see what the causes for suffering are and what the causes for happiness are. Because our seeing, our mindfulness, our awareness isn't distorted by our attachment. Attachment, expectations, fear, greed, it distorts the clarity of the mind. So the mind doesn't see what's happening, basically. It doesn't understand how we end up in suffering states. Or if we do end up in a happy state, how we got there. Because the mind, the seeing, was distorted by the expectation or the attachment. So atta- non-attachment does not mean pushing experience away when When you have a relationship with somebody you care a lot about and there's a lot of and you you're having a moment of non-attachment, you'll have a more intimate experience with that person. but you just realize that even though I really love this person, even though we might be really appreciating this time we have with a person, we also realize that this moment is fleeting, and that attachment never helps. Like wanting it to last, wanting it to be any particular way, ruins it. Attachment, and we have to see this for ourselves, how attachment gets in the way of happiness. Attachment is not the cause for happiness. We think it is superficially, but it's only because we haven't been a good study of what attachment actually is. Attachment is stressful. And it doesn't lead to happy states. And this would be really good to try to prove me wrong. Like you've got each of us, we have our own life to practice with this week. So just be really interested in moments of attachment, identification, struggle, and see what comes from that. What comes from being tight? Distorted scene and the tendency to be tight in the future. Because if we're practicing being tight or attached now, the inclination in the mind will be to be attached in the future. If we want to practice, if we want to be more released, more intimate now, I mean in the future, then that's what we should practice now. So if we're practicing being attached, if we're justifying attachment, we'll be better at it. We'll be better at making stress through attachment. But in any case, we can't fake non-attachment. So even though that's the N in the acronym RAIN, recognize, accept, be interested in non-attachment, it's really the fruit of good practice, moments of non-attachment. Otherwise, we tend to want to imitate it. It's like, oh, I'm a Buddhist now, and I know Buddhism is all about non-attachment, so I'll go through life pretending to be not-attached. And that really bothers our friends. <laughs> you know, Nobody wants to be around somebody who's pretending to be non-attached. It'd be much better to be honest about our attachment than to be pretending to be non-attached. So what we realize is that non-attachment arises when we're seeing things clearly, accepting, interested, and then the reality of non-attachment, like that that's really the skillful way to be in life. It just arises in moments, and then when there are enough of those moments, we start having a lot of confidence in it, but it's, for most people, a very gradual process, this confidence in a life of non-attachment. Right now, all we're asking, all I'm asking is that you're interested in it, right? Keep an open mind about what attachment actually delivers for us in life and the possibilities of non-attachment. Keep an open mind so you're actually interested. So in the context of any experience, be interested in the presence or absence of attachment and what you can learn about observing the activity of attachment or the relative absence of it. What's that like? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Maybe time for one more question. Anything else come to mind before we cover some new material, before we end? What else have you been learning or questions? It's really good, like I said, and you probably have experienced already. It's really good to hear from people what's coming up in their practice. So, What else have you been learning? Yeah, right behind you.
2: Hi, I'm Eric. Um, I've been uh, practicing for about a year now, kind of off and on, and I kind of lose a few weeks here and there, but try to... Try to return to the practice, and uh, I've noticed in my sits now um, there's kind of a back and forth between like my thoughts and my the um, feelings of my body. Whereas when I first started, it was kind of more uh, more black and white. Like I'd either be thinking or um, or I'd be with my body and my breath um and but but now sometimes it feels a little if I feel a little detached from the practice um I'm not sure if that's something that's uh, that happens or
0: When you why don't you say a little bit more about what you meant when you say when you said I feel a little bit more detached from the practice maybe describe well, that Well yeah
2: I guess uh like the calming feeling that I'd get when I first started I don't always get that as much now, uh and it's not as much of a i don't know i don't i i had my practice and I don't feel as uh i guess maybe calmed i guess is what i what mm-hmm. I mean by that yeah
0: well it could be a good sign or a bad sign <laughs> it kind of depends because one thing that does happen in practice um and I think for gen- in general in- generally speaking it's a good sign, which is we're moving toward, especially in the way that we generally teach, uh, toward a more inclusive awareness. Now, there, Of course, I'm sure you understand, there are many different meditation techniques. And one way, this is a good point I usually bring up around week three, is to just imagine the spectrum. And along the spectrum, this array, we line up the different meditation techniques. So at one end, we have Uh, what you you could say, a focused attention or an exclusive awareness on a particular object. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have an all-inclusive, whole body, whole mind awareness. Sometimes at this end, people might call their meditation technique an open attention awareness practice. And here you might say, you know, I'm doing a concentration practice. I'm I have a very specific meditation object, and when my mind wanders, then I when I notice it that it's wandered, I immediately bring it back to the meditation object. And the meditation object might be a visual form, right? Visualizing something, or even with your eyes open, it might be a you know gazing out, like if you're sitting on the side of a hill, just gazing out into the sky, or flame of a candle, or Colored disc is a traditional focused meditation object. Mantra, prayer, chant, you could use over here. Mindfulness of breathing can be here if you're really, really using it in a more specific way where you've got this specific point and you're just feeling the air touching the nostrils as it goes in, touching the nostrils as it goes out, and you keep coming back to that particular point. All of those kinds of techniques would be over here. Over here you might start with a more focused attention, but you gradually or very quickly go toward a more whole body and mind awareness. So in a sense here, the object of awareness is the present moment. But in any moment of the present moment, any number of objects might be predominant. In one moment, maybe the sound of the furnace; the next moment, it might be somebody's cough; and the next moment, it might be the sensations of breathing in. The next moment might be the throbbing in the knee. The next moment might be recognizing the thought, "I hate this practice." Next moment, something else. And but in each moment, you could have just as powerful a concentration, knowing this: this is being known. Now this is being known. Now this is. But the objects are changing moment to moment, but the continuity of mindfulness is what makes for the concentration or the stability of mind. Here, the concentration, the attention is going to the same object moment by moment by moment by moment, right? Here, 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 just feeling the touching, whether the breath is going in and out. And you get to the point where it's like you can really just hold this thing the touching, that point where touch is happening. It doesn't matter what the touch is. That's where the attention goes. It's really like a location kind of object of awareness. So if what's happening is your practice is drifting toward a more open awareness, open attention practice, that's not a bad thing. As long as you understand that the, the shadow, I guess you could say, is it's easy to think you're practicing when you're just lost in thought. The nice thing about having a more specific anchor for your attention is we tend to notice when the mind wanders, right? Because the mind's not with the anchor that it chose. So, oh, let's come back, let's come back, let's come back. So generally in the intro class, I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum where we have, I suggest that you have an anchor, or sometimes I call that the training ground. For most people here, it will be mindfulness of breathing, but some of you are probably using hearing, as your primary anchor. Some of you might go immediately to the whole body. But even if you're using breathing, notice like I did tonight, and the instructions is, uh, toward the end, sensitive to the whole body as you breathe in. So even though you're feeling the breath, you're recognizing that even though the mind, the attention is intimate with the breathing in, we can be aware of the whole body right there. We don't have to hold to just breath, but notice the whole body right there. Because we want to be aware of the distractions that arise. Oh, that's just thinking. And then come back to the body. Thanks. So just a few thoughts as we go into week four. So next week, week four, we usually talk about challenges or obstacles. So I'm just going to remind you of a a particular list. It's relatively easy to remember, and you can look at the week four notes. Everybody know where the handouts are? So go to the program page, look for the Introduction to Mindfulness class. There will be a link there um, for some of the older talks, but also the eight handouts, including the handout on walking meditation. So there are five hindrances, and it's just really good. Like when you're struggling, either in daily life or in your formal meditation time, then just see if you can acknowledge which of the hindrances are present. Is the mind greedy, wanting something, wanting things to be different than they are? That's greed. Whatever it is, like even wanting to be calm, that's greed. Oh, greed is being known. Now you're right back to being mindful. Being aware of greed is not greed. It's called mindfulness. Right? You don't need to be upset that you recognize that there's greed because you're doing your job Awareness is recognizing, it's accepting, it's interested, and it's appreciating any non-attachment. Like it's just greed being known. Sometimes it's like this. Isn't that true? Sometimes there is greed in the mind. And it's not personal. Did you like personally say, I'm going to be greedy now? No. It was like causes and conditions, and the greed arose, and there it was. And now there's awareness of the greed. So greediness is the first of the hindrances, These are the things that hinder concentration or balance of mind or stability of mind. Better than concentration is the word stability or steadiness of mind because it's a more visceral description of what we mean by concentration or just use the Pali word samadhi because concentration for most of us has a sense of tension. (coughs) But real steadiness, steadiness of mind that samadhi refers to is this really beautiful balance. It's like a solidity, but there's no fort. Like we're not trying to make the mind really stable and bright. It's just a coming into a natural unification or a natural collectedness or a natural composure, the mind, the heart. And these are the five things that disturb that natural composure or stability of mind. Greediness, wanting things to be other than they are, you can guess what the opposite of that is aversion right not wanting this to be there they're actually surprisingly similar both aversion which includes fear even boredom is a kind of aversion impatience is aversion as well as you know the obvious things like hatred anger so they're both having a problem with the way things are greed is like oh yeah i want it that way and aversion is i don't want it this way But they're both a conflict, conflictual relationship with the way things are. So we have greed, aversion, and then this pair is easy to remember too. Too little energy, all the different forms of dullness, heaviness, contracted mind, right? All the forms of too much energy, restlessness, scatteredness, distractedness. And then doubt. Now, some doubt is good, like just, I'm holding judgment, keeping an open mind. But this is specifically the kind of doubt where we're going in circles and because we're not landing in the experience of the moment, we can't really resolve the doubt. We're sort of obsessing about, I don't know what to do, as opposed to really connecting with the problem and going doing the next thing and seeing what comes from that engaging the problem. So doubt in this sense as a hindrance is a spinning that doesn't lead anywhere. It just leads to more thinking, more worrying, more doubt. So these are the five things and it's really great because it's so clarifying so whenever you feel like you're struggling in your practice, then in a very kind way just ask, well, can I recognize any of the five hindrances? And you could even just go through like Is is the mind greedy for something, wanting something? Is the mind averse, trying to get rid of something, trying to deny something? Is there too little energy? Things are heavy, the mind's sort of in a slog, or too much. But whatever of the five hindrances you find, and basically just whatever disturbs your mind, just make it fit into one of these five or more than one of these five categories. I mean, you could come up with your own category of of hindrances, and that would be just as good. But the Buddha already did it, you know. And it's somewhat arbitrary. But the key is to bring the hindrance in view, and then you're letting it be the meditation object. So that's what we're going to talk about next week is, so there you are breathing in, knowing the breath coming in. Breathing out, knowing the breath going out. Or breathing in, feeling the whole body, just as it is. Breathing out, feeling the body, just as it is. And then all of a sudden you notice that your mind is sort of in some storm and the body is contracted because the storm is a storm, right? So you're in some kind of reactive pattern, but now you're aware of it, right? There's wisdom in the mind that knows, oh, it's like this now. And then having this, this map of the five hindrances is just a way to sort of bring more clearly into view the way it is now in the mind. Oh, this is greediness being known. This is aversion being known. Oh, this is just dullness being known, sleepiness being known, restlessness being known, worry, right? Because restlessness is connected to worry. Worry and flurry, you know, just sort of... Or it's doubt, mind is spinning. Oh, it's just a hindrance. It's just this, and it feels like this, because usually it's unpleasant. So notice that whatever the hindrance you've recognized, notice, oh, it feels like this. It's unpleasant like this. Well, can that be okay? Because sometimes it's like this in the mind and heart, isn't it? Yeah, well, can that be okay? And notice what that does. Not just in your formal sits, but t- any time during the day, too. You're in a little funk, then just you know, sit back, okay. Probably be one of the five hindrances. Which one, I wonder? Oh, and you're just looking at the body and mind the way it is. It's already here. Whatever it is, it's here. What is this? You can even ask, what? What's going on in the mind? You know, what's going on in the heart? Things tight? And you're taking time. Oh, oh. And it, you'll notice as there's a little joy when it comes into view. Oh, this is how it is. This is the coloring in the mind right now. And even if you can't figure out like which hindrance it is, just say this, it's this. Because like I said, the word, like greed as a word, what's really doing, it's putting a frame around the actual experience of mind and body so that there can be the R in rain. Oh, the mind is recognizing. And when you recognize, then you can accept. And when you've recognized and accepted, then you can actually practice being interested, like letting it reveal itself. Like, okay, this is your time in the sun, doubt. You know, I'm not for or against you. I'm not. Mindfulness isn't here to get rid of you. Mindfulness is here to understand that doubt is just doubt, and it feels like this. And doubt will go away on its own. That's the amazing thing about these hindrances. You starve them. You weaken them by seeing them for what they are. You don't weaken hindrances by hating them. You're feeding them when you hate them or deny them or want to go away from them. Struggling with the hindrances is a hindrance. This is a hard lesson to learn, but this is how we do it, is we recognize them as objects of meditation, not... Problems, not personal problems. Next time you see greed or rage or dullness or restlessness. Don't personalize it. It's just something being known. Like I said earlier, it's just something being known. See what that effect is. What does it do when what you would normally take very personally, what happens when instead you recognize it, you accept it, you allow the mind to actually be interested in it and you realize some degree Of non-attachment you see one it's not very it's not as 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 afflictive as it would have otherwise been and you also see that it goes away more quickly and you start to have more confidence like you're not afraid of it coming back because you know it will change it will go away and it doesn't feel personal anyway or less personal and eventually not personal at all this is how we really change our lives So, this is week four. Bring your experiences working with the five hindrances, right? So, there are about 70 people. That means, you know, some of you are going to be experts on greed, some on aversion, some on doubt, some on sleepiness, some on restlessness. And be really good to share, like, which of the hindrances have defeated us and which we've gained some mastery over in the next seven days.